I had the chance to touch the rock. Uh, yeah. I whole... guess I would not pass that up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Combinations and Permutations, episode 51, brought to you by acmescience.com. Back after a long summer hiatus, we delve into the deep, murky waters of mathematical research and then have a huge argument over whether it should be experimental or proof-based. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the mathematical podcast that is back. After popular demand, and by popular demand, I mean that of one person on Twitter who has been yelling at the Acme Science Twitter uh, account that he really misses us and needs his CNP fix. And so, thanks to him, I finally got off my ass and invited three people over here uh, to be guests on the 51st episode. We're, we're now on to the... Uh, second half of our first century. And so first up, I'm going to introduce the guest now, hence why I just said first up. Makes sense, right? Yeah, that, that makes sense. I haven't even muted anyone. Everyone's being nice and quiet. This is wonderful. No, I have shown Okay, okay, now everyone I just had to mute. And so first up is Anthony Solari. How are you doing, Anthony? Are you, did I've, you have a good summer? Yes. Oh, that's good. Okay, ah. so next up, Christopher <laughs> Bates. Okay, I'm not going to let him talk either, and then I have Nathan Rowe, and we're just going to completely... Okay, no, everyone, you Hello. can talk now. Hello. Soundbite. Uh, uh, you know, sound this is why I didn't have Chris <laughs> on was, for like 10 episodes That was just a soundbite. <laughs> so how's everyone's summer? Get a lot of math done? Yeah. I passed a doctoral prelim. Oh, yeah, that right. counts. Yeah, yeah, congratulations. That is Woo. something. Something I may never do. Well, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't need Nathan having a PhD. How about Chris? You do any math? No, you didn't. Okay, Nathan? Um, I did, like, for three days. I did three days of work, and everything <laughs> else was whatever the hell it was, but it was sure as hell not work. Well, I, on the other hand, actually went to a conference this summer. I was in MathFest in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, also known as the place where I get calls from Chris at 3 in the morning. <laughs> morning. Yeah. Oh, no, when just saying that's, every that's everywhere. Yes. <laughs> the only place that didn't happen was when I was in Barcelona, and that's because I had my phone turned off. Well, I sent you texts while you were there. Mm -hmm. I didn't <laughs> actually the receive any of them. Well, they were at like 3 in the morning, too. Your time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that actually would make sense, because that would... Actually, no, because you would have sent it three, probably 1 in the morning here, which probably would have been... Too early. Yeah, <laughs> like I would have been awake. Like I would have been up and drinking my coffee. <laughs> okay, uh, so yeah, I went to Math Fest. You want to hear about that? Check out uh, Math Maths, five thousand one hundred thirty-six miles of mathematics podcast uh, because I recorded one uh, in the Omni William Penn Hotel uh, talking about Math Fest. Math Fest, not Math Fests. There was not more than one fest there. So I have a question: the five thousand whatever miles. Um, if you dug a hole straight to him, 
How many miles would it be then? I, I have no idea. Honestly, that's just what <laughs> Wolfram Alpha pops up when you right, uh, type right. in distance from uh, but they Nottingham, do, England to Las Vegas, Nevada. But they do great circles. circles. So if yeah. you did a tunnel straight Do through, you know for a fact that they do great circles? Yes, I do. Okay. I've, I, have, I have tested it. I've done the great circle calculation. It comes out to be the same as Wolfram Alpha's distance. If you had a low friction... Nerd! If you had a, <laughs> oh, my God, you did <laughs> that? Why the hell did you do that? Well, I taught algebra. I mean, oh, I okay, I'm sorry. So you, I, I taught geometry. Oh, so you, oh, so you actually did it in the like place of a like you did it, it in a, a class. It was a math course that talked about spherical geometry, and I okay, used so Wolfram Alpha to verify my answers. Okay, to, so it was not just something that you happened <laughs> to do in your spare time. Um, I, I mean, it was quasi spare time. <laughs> he wasn't required to, to teach the class that way. Yeah. It was, it, yeah, mm -hmm. it was just, it was a good tool that was available. Okay, well, that's gonna give me my segue into our topic for today. <laughs> Uh, speaking of, of tools available for checking things, our topic, as is our want, as uh, every single episode, except for episode 50, which I hope everyone loved, and I kind of wish that people would you know, go back and, and listen to it and send me emails about how much they loved it. Uh, that's Samuel at AcmeScience.com. Let's see, I got that. Yep, less than 10 minutes in. Good. Uh, I like plugging my email address quickly. So our topic uh, this, week, this week is mathematical research. Just a nice, nice broad topic. Uh, every single person in here has done at least scientific research. Uh, yeah, let's say, can we do Mathematically based scientific research. All right. Because uh, now Nathan and I are currently working on research for our theses. Uh, Chris has done uh, an REU research experience for undergraduate, and uh, Anthony had to do some physics bullshit yeah junk that doesn't really count but it's research yeah it's <laughs> so so we're we're all actually kind of qualified to talk about this and so i, I figure uh, at least first let's just talk about basically why people do mathematical research i mean because most people when they think of research shut the fuck up nathan i saw that smirk in the mirror uh i uh, I mean, because when people think of research, typically they think more of like biological research, physics research, chemistry, things mm. that you can do experimentally. And we can get into experimental mathematics later, because I know that at least two people in here have been talking about this a lot recently. I've, I've heard them down the hallway at the office. Uh, but when you think of research, you know, it's you think of the scientific method. Uh, you know, you know, you come up with some hypothesis, you test it with an experiment, and you verify the results, which is not exactly how mathematical research is done. So, Nathan... That's the first part. Well, yeah, you do come up with a hypothesis, <laughs> except we don't call it that. What do we call it in mathematics? Oh, well, the first thing is you, come, you make some observations, you look for a pattern, you come up with a hypothesis about the pattern. It's a proposition. Then you, then you oh. test it <laughs> with some numbers, and if your hypothesis seems to be true, then you go about trying to prove it. So you do all of, the, all of the steps, all of the scientific method steps, except before you publish, you have to prove. Um, well, that's so. fair, fair enough. Particularly In if you don't have a... You only really do that if you don't have a good idea about what you're doing. You do a lot of data to, to help you get a feel for... Right. I mean, to, to get come a feel up for the with problem. the thing you want to prove, you have yeah. to first look at a bunch of data, and then 
you do a quasi experiment where without looking at the last line of the data, you guess what the last line is going to say. Mm. And if you're right, then you go about trying to prove that you can also guess the next line. Well, that, that's not exactly how, say, my research happens. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into our personal experiences with it after we've talked in a more general way because we're going to do this just like mathematics. First, you give the big general thing and then you talk specifics. Okay, no one's gonna make a comment on that. Really, I, I, was, I was I was hoping. Like the, uh, and shut up. I, I think just, of anything. I, what I just you know, said was the. This, this summer <laughs> off just reminded me how much I hate dealing with you people. Anyway, we didn't pick it up. I mean. he, well, he's he said the exact opposite of what I said. I said you look at specifics first and then try to prove the general. No, I, I was actually talking about in math classes, not math research. At least in the higher level ones, you typically state the theorem and then you state its applications afterwards. So general that's usually that's, that's, that's after you figured it out. That's usually. a <laughs> that's a personal preference for the instructor. If you take classes with Dr. Burke, he always motivates a proof before doing it um, by showing by showing three proofs that you can do once you have this lemma. Or, or you know what I'm saying? So, okay, yeah, so. but once again, he deals in set theory, so there's never any specifics. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, it's like so. I, I asked him. I there was a proof of the diamond principle that L thinks the diamond principle oh, yeah. that we went over recently. Right. And I was like, I can follow all the details of the diamond principle, but I have no idea what that thing's about. And he's like, Okay, prove the diamond principle proves GCH. Prove that the diamond principle proves this all this other stuff. And it's like you can't. Sometimes I don't think you can. You can't really understand the theorem until you know what it's good for. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So w research. We're talking about research. Sorry, I'm the one who derailed us this time. Uh, and, and so, I mean, Nathan's uh, what Nathan was saying is also completely true. And generally, the question comes up is when it's for mathematical research is you're trying to prove a theorem. In, in math, you're trying you're going for proof instead of a, you know experimental validity. I mean, that, I mean, that's just the basic idea of what mathematics is, right? I'll agree. Unfortunately, we think it should go back to experimental, uh, but it's uh, not. We're not talking about that yet. <laughs> okay. You know, both of you, I, I think that you guys should not be allowed to share an office anymore. Your, your oh, stupid man. ideas just rebound around the echo oh. chamber of your office. Yeah, Chris should join us in an office. That would be like the perfect trio. Oh, wow. <laughs> that would be a disaster <laughs> for all of mathematics, Mathematic. physics, and, <laughs> and everything else. Okay, so mathematical <laughs> research. And so... Let's just uh, mention a little bit about how how research is done. So it, the basic idea is that you see some sort of problem and you want to prove it. Like, I mean, that that's the idea of, of mathematical research. You, you observe some sort of open problem. You try to prove that it's either true or not true. Yeah, generally. Sometimes you have a guess. It's a wonder. I wonder if this is true. And then you go about and try to figure it out. Yeah, but I mean, in the end, you are trying to get to either a yes or no answer. Correct. Matt, the, the world of mathematical research, at least today, is a rather binary world. Or independent. Well, yeah. if you're set theory. I don't, I mean, in the, in the research I've been doing lately, it's been like. Yeah, the, not, my, we're not talking about specifics of Okay, okay, but I'm yet. saying, I'm saying, all right, then this is what I do. It yeah. said. It's a, here's an interesting looking surface. Tell me and prove as much about it as you can. Okay, there, there is also that. I mean, there yeah. is either seeing the open problem and then either proving or disproving that, or there is, there's this, this thing that we don't know anything about. Yeah, and just and come up with as much information about yeah, it. And prove the principles about that. Yeah. 
Uh, and both both way, those are probably the two most common things to do. Uh, my like my personal research is a bit of both of them, but yeah. once again, no specifics about that. So uh, now, this is probably the biggest question for people, especially like any uh, people in high school, or college who happen to listen to this: is how the hell do people do mathematical research? Because once again, you can't just go out into the world, take a fruit fly, tweak its genome a bit, and see what happens. Uh, because I mean, mathematics, by at least what oh, what most of us do, is out. not is not a physical object that you can actually play with. It's not a malleable thing in the world. So, I mean, what are the different ways that people go about actually doing research? Well, usually one of the first things you want to do is after you've gotten a problem and a general a general thing you want to do, you you start wanting you want to learn as much about that thing. As you possibly can. So first or, of all, read a lot of books and, and or papers. Just, or just yeah, papers if you can. A lot, a lot of it's just sitting down, staring at a paper. And does this work? No. Does this work? No. Does this gives me something? I don't know what that does for me. And then you just kind of keep building and building, and <laughs> eventually you get something, and then you erase everything that was useless. There's also a large amount of jargon that you have to just assimilate. I mean, tons of definitions oh my God. and theorems oh, yeah. that are the foundation. Yeah to even so, understand so the question. We, we can all tie this all up into one big step one, read a bunch of shit. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Okay, so, uh, that so is... once, once you have the language and the uh, both language as in uh, vocabulary and language as in syntax of whatever area you're going into, uh, it's syntax and you know, definitions of various things, meaning theorems. So you're, you have a, you've built an entire language out of whatever this area that you're studying is. What then uh, are some of the steps that get taken? Like, um, like what are some of the tools? What are yeah. some of the paths? I think that already we you diverge completely based on what field you're in. Okay, so well then let's okay. put it into fields. Uh, let's not talk about set theory because that is just I have a daydream <laughs> and write it down. Uh, Things are true whether you want them to be or not. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you can do a uh, lot of stuff but that way. Let, let's go into some of the more like well-known areas. Uh, specifically, now we can start talking about things that we actually know because we can't really talk about anything beyond that. So uh, let, let's talk about ones that people will be most able to grasp. So let's actually talk about physics here. Okay. Mathematical physics and applied math, they all have pretty similar approaches yeah. to the methods taken. Well, um, so there was a couple of problems that I worked on, actually. Uh, the one I did the most work on was what they were doing is they were trying to figure out the various uh, structures of ion channels. Sorry. They were trying to figure out the structure of ion channels. And the idea was if they can figure out the structure of ion channels, they can figure out a novel way to get drugs to and from the outer end of the cell into the inner end of the okay. cell. Okay, yeah. And so when, you know, once so they figure out the ion So this just going channel, completely in my head at the idea of not having a physical thing to touch, but we'll go into how that this is then abstracted later on. Oh, yeah. So what they do is they, they would stick these cells. They, first, they would freeze it. They would stick it under a high-powered magnet. And all that they could do was they could find the distance between various bits of the structure. And so it was mine and my professor's job to just give them the distances between various points on the structure to reproduce the structure itself. And oftentimes it wasn't well determined. It wasn't you know well determined, but we could figure out within a couple. Oh of yeah, well, you got then, into the finite. Yeah, realm. and then there was how do you figure out a quick algorithm 
just given distances to figure out the three dimensional okay, structure. And so, and so, like, what sort of tools uh, were used in that? I'm assuming that there's a lot of computers at this point. A lot of computers, a lot of reading through things that other people had done. But you know, part of the problem was people had figured out things that um, not being done in polynomial time. And so, you know, you had to figure out, you know, you had to just sit there and think, how can I figure out an algorithm that does things faster? So no, I'm, I'm, I want specifics here, not, not a broad, not a broad thing. Like, what were you actually doing? Like, what were you just I... sitting in a room staring into space? Were you sitting at a whiteboard? Were you well, sitting at a computer playing with programs? To be specific, what they do is uh, I spent a lot of time in the magnet lab. Um, not only staring at walls, and re it was mostly staring at walls, reading paper, and watching them do their bit. Um, you know, it was also getting prepared, understanding what, you know, people, and helping my professor at the time, because he was a mathematician, I was a physicist, helping people, helping him understand what is a Hamiltonian when, you know, I was kind of a translator between the physicists and the mathematicians. And, you know, it was a lot of reading papers. I didn't, Necessarily make tons of progress. You know, I made a little. Hey, you're bit of boring, progress, Nathan. Um, I <laughs> I would I spent did most of my research happens in front of a computer, and occasionally I have to um, bring out a piece of paper and start writing things in terms of elliptic curve additions and whatever. But for the most part, um, the first step of any research I do is create a freaking huge table of information matrix yeah matrix. create a big matrix of information and then um and then i just kind of try to see if if things start to grow exponentially if things are growing linearly if things are growing quadrat you know try and figure out some relationship and then you read a lot of papers and try and see what relationship makes sense or if, yeah. The idea <laughs> is that there's not really any rule that you can say do this, then this, no, then this. I'm, no, it's, I know there isn't. I'm yeah, aware I'm just, of that. I'm, I'm telling just, everybody yeah. else. Mm -hmm. you, the idea is, you, you know, first you do a lot of experiments, you get an idea, you get a feeling for the structure, and then you just kind of make guesses after a while. You know, there, you, it's hard to get from point A, tell people how to get from point A to point B. It's like, I did this, I did this, then mumble, 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 and then it happened all of a sudden, because they don't really know what happened between those two. <laughs> Okay, and so let's talk a little bit about, uh, say, the computer program. I mean, because this, I mean, honestly, this is not something that, say, Euclid mm. or Gauss or Euler or Cauchy. Uh, I mean, even Turing, in, I mean, at, when he was doing his things that he's most famous for in the mathematical and computer science community, had access to. I mean, there was not access to computers, which is something both of you mentioned that you've used quite a bit in the research that you have done. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, what computers have allowed mathematical researchers, re researchers to do, specifically, uh, at least to me, the, the biggest thing that it seems to have been able to uh, have allowed people to do is to look at much more data before they started going into the proofs. Yeah. I mean, because before, if you wanted to deal with, say, a 100 by 100 matrix, and multiply a couple of them together, you had to do that shit by hand. And unless yeah. that thing is sparse, that's very hard. Whereas a computer, on the other hand, can square it, cube it, make polynomials out of it, and it's not an issue. Yeah, well, basically statistics wouldn't really work without computers nowadays. Like pretty much, you know, any practical thing you want to do, you're just dealing well, with also, reams I mean, of data. There's R. Yeah. I mean, they created an entire yeah. programming language 
to a to facilitate statistical research. Yeah. Right. There's also what? a very um, oh. no, no, Chris, you, go ahead. You haven't Chris, talked well, in like twenty well, minutes. There's also a very popular program called GAP, um, groups, mm -hmm. algorithms, and programming, uh, which is very useful for doing uh, computational work in algebra. Uh, not just groups, though, but rings and fields, and uh, it's open source, of course. It's, of I, course, I, you I, can't say of course. Most of the well-known MATLAB, just uh, the you know go-to matrix calculator. Matt in that stands for matrix, yep. not mm -hmm. math. And then there's Maple and Mathematica. Math uh, in that does stand for math. math. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. There's an open and source version uh, that's yes, similar to MATLAB. Yes, called Sage, but no, no. It's Sage is actually a CAS, a computer al uh, algebraic system, which is Maple and uh, Mathematica. Uh, but yes, there's open source ones, but I'm talking about the most common ones are closed source proprietary system. I know. As it stands right now, they're better. I mean, the open source one might pass it up, but... Um, uh, Sage is technically more powerful because you code in Python instead of a proprietary system. Therefore, it has more flexibility, but it's not as well known. It's not as widely adopted. It has a shitty interface. You have to run it through a browser and... No, you don't. Um, there is a browser else. interface. There is uh, also other GUIs that people have created for Sage. Okay, well, I it it, it just didn't look good. Um, and I like things that look good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so many mean things I could say right now, but oddly enough, I'm trying to be a better man here, you fucking assholes. Uh, okay, and so, like, what other things have, have computers and CASs, matrix calculators, new well, programming language, allowed uh, mathematical researchers to do that they could not have done before? The four-color theorem. Oh, oh, there you go. There we go. Uh, now, we, we have actually talked about this before in the Four Colors of Podcasting episode, which, oddly enough, I listened to part of the other day. It was, it was you guys should go back and listen to it. It was uh, surprisingly entertaining. Uh, and this was the first computer, or the first proof that was ever done, or the first major proof that was ever done using so pretty much only a computer. computer. It was, it was a com first computer verified proof, mm. uh, and computer aided proof as well. And yeah, human beings could have done what that computer did. Uh, there was just a whole ton of cases. They, they need the would to... still be checking <laughs> uh, by hand right now, <laughs> uh, 40 years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it, with that one, I mean, if, if people go through and check the code and verify that the code will check all cases... It's a lot, it's a lot easier to check that than it is to verify <laughs> all the work that the computer yeah, does. Then, yeah, then just... Yeah, you can't verify what the computer did, but you can verify that the code was written accurately in that, and that so long as the computer obeyed its code, the proof would be valid. Um, well, and that, that's the nice thing is that we know that computers do obey code, and that's another completely different area of mathematical research that's going on right now, which is uh, the formal proof machines. Mm. And these are machines that you literally feed in axioms, <laughs> and they spit out proofs. Are, are they good? Like, um, Very few interesting things have been proven by these machines. But By the very fact few, is that I you mean none. But every proof that they spit out is valid, given whatever axiomatic system uh, that you you 
input into as it's given. I wonder if they have, because I'm sure they're just trying to go over and like just, they're just walking through all the routes they can do. So they're probably doing sort of like a breadth first rather than depth first approach. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Which, but I, I don't think that depth first would be, uh, would, it would not be the most efficient path because you could go very, or I mean, the depth first would not be very efficient because you could go down to a lot of dead end paths that, Mm. I don't from there you, you don't get anything. Yeah, yeah. you don't. Yeah. You know, you end up at a lot of like independence. Uh, whereas if you do breadth first, while you may get a lot of things that are already known, a lot of things that are not uh, not very interesting. At least you're getting results quickly instead of getting yourself stuck. Right, but I, it's kind of different. My my point is. It's oh, no, different, it is different than the way math is done now. Math now seems to be depth first or something. I mean, but a lot like, of the famous people, or maybe were a lot just, more breadth. Maybe well, we just were, kicked were, out the breadth. Well, There's, if you look you at a do... lot of, of famous of famous mathematical researchers, they were actually a kind of a combination of them. Yeah, what they I would mean... do is they would do a depth first search first. Uh, say say look at the stuff that like Euler did. He'd do a depth first, get down to an area that no one has done any work in, and then breadth first yeah, the hell out of that area. Shoot out. And then he'd he'd step back and then go depth into something else. Yep. And then breadth all over everybody's <laughs> face. <laughs> oh, Euler. Euler. I barely knew her. So I mean, that wasn't funny, Chris. Oh, boy. Anyway, <laughs> I, I think that the that it you might have more success with these computer things if you try to have it emulate the way you know humans well, it's, try and it's do just math. that they're not very good yet yeah like, right. i mean they're not they're not quick so if you send them on a depth first search uh it's going to take a long you know a lot longer whereas it it's a lot easier to check to make sure that these things are because there's people still don't trust them and so you might as well do the depth first getting a bunch of results that people are easily able to verify well, it, seems, it doesn't surprise me that it's rather slow going. I mean, mathematicians create definitions and, you know, examples of things, and then they have a conjecture, which they hopefully prove at some point. But can these, can these proof machines make definitions and store them? Well, that, that's, that's kind of the idea is mm. that, one, they're not creative, so it's not as easy. So they just, they essentially brute force their way. Right. They they do everything. They go down something like, if this is true, what does that imply, given everything else? And then you get a bunch... Think of it like as a tree, whereas at the top yeah. you have the axioms. What do yeah. the... What's, you look at the first axiom, what does that imply? Uh, does it mm. imply, you know, something And you that, probably just go and then through you all stop, statements yeah, and, that follow And then from you that go you back, you, you take that and the first axiom and check to see what that implies. You can't exactly do that because there are infinitely many tautologies and things yep. like that. So you can't you can't But um, it's it's yeah. it's that kind of idea. I mean, right, it's not right, exactly right, that. Right. It's that yeah, basic it's, idea. it's pretty close. Yeah, sure. So now now I'll talk a little bit about say the way that I do research. My research is fun cuz I do my research everywhere. I've done it plenty of times in classes. I've done it while I've been laying in bed. I've woken up in my head, for some odd reason, some weird graph theory thing popped in. Like, all of a sudden, I realized oh. something. I just jot it down, and I finished a theorem. Because one nice thing about graph theory, very, very short proofs. Uh, I, unlike Nathan, don't actually look at a load of data, because that won't actually help mine, because I'm, I'm labeling edges of graphs. No, but, but 
what you do, you've you've shown me your wheel graphs that you're doing, and you've labeled a couple until you try to get a feel. Oh yeah, for the no, algorithm. no, but I don't look at. That. I mean data in the same way. Well, but you're still you're creating like four examples, and you saw that this generally seems to work. You tried yeah, to turn it uh, into that. A that was true algorithm. until it turned out that all of that was going completely nowhere. My advisor gave me a little trick that I was able to add in, and so now I just have to do one labeling and do this trick. Oh, okay. Uh, you do some sort of an isomorphism between graphs or nope. something? Nope. I just toss in an extension that covers everything. Do you use Mathematica? No, I don't. <laughs> this Mine <laughs> is very directly pen and paper. Like, I, I'm the one person here who does strictly pen and paper research. Well, from now on, that yeah, might now be on Anthony. Might be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well... It, Previously, I'll, I'll, a lot of it had been computer hey, stuff. We're talking about what we've done so far, assholes. And can I get mine out? What? 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 While, while I was asking all of, well, the two of you questions, unless it was very boring, I tended to not interrupt unless I was asking you another question. So if I could get out my material, that would be fucking fantastic. And they can't answer because I muted them anyway. Uh, and so it, at least of the research we've talked, I've been the one who's done strictly pen and paper. Like I, pen and paper or marker and whiteboard. And that, that's literally all I do. And, I've, and I do sometimes use technology. I'll write things on a whiteboard. I'll take a picture, send it to my Evernote. Uh, that way I have access to it everywhere. Uh, but yeah, mine, mine is much more I draw something, I put numbers on it, and then I go to the next thing. Which, which seems slightly odd uh, and uh, very much something I could have done in kindergarten. Uh, but uh, math research takes everything from the uh, hard stuff. Yeah. I was about to say my other thing was computing black holes. Yeah. Uh, rotations. To the easy. Uh, <laughs> my, mine's on the easy. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> as serious a mathematician as these other two are anyway. Are you ever inspired by like, the things no, you I'm see not, around Chris. you? Like you're walking and you see Chris, something. Chris, I'm, I'm doing graph theory. Well, yeah, how about but you told that me whole about thing that. with like the pigeon movements, like in Beautiful Mind, and somebody mugging somebody else draw directed graph. <laughs> I do graph labelings. Oh yeah, that's not direct. Have you ever you ever been walking and you see like a swarm of gnats and they're just in a cloud and somehow the cloud maintains Yeah, but just this, just saying. So all all that, but they still actually move and you have different connections between them. Uh, no. No, I deal with static objects, Chris. And, and Nathan, you can talk now. I'm, okay, I'm but you, I mean, <laughs> for a while you were looking into those, those like, the, the social graphs that yeah, involve the connector Yeah, but I have, done, I have done no research in that area. Oh, okay. I, I was reading papers in that area. Reading papers That's research. Not, no, it's not. It's the beginnings there. It, it's, it's the it's beginnings of research. Research? You, you, know, you know what that is? <laughs> that was, uh, what was the name of the, because uh, what, this week they announced the new uh, Lucasian chair mm. uh, at yeah. Oxford. And uh, Nathan was looking back through the previous ones. And the one who held it after Newton has the auspicious history of what? That guy is so cool. <laughs> no, I, it wasn't after Newton. It was after... After... Parson or something. It was after a, a fairly well-known mathematician. Um, but the, this guy who Sam's soon going to come up with the name of, but um, the, this guy early on in his career, was identified as being a great mathematical talent who was destined for important things. 
Um, and so a he was... A new Newton. A new, yeah, new Newton. Wasn't, wasn't that the terminology? The next like, yeah, Newton. Yeah, yeah, they called him, they called him the, the new Newton, the next Newton. He's going to revolutionize everything. And he quickly climbed up every single academic ladder there was um, until he was, he was essentially like... Mario? Yeah, I think that's him. Joshua King. Um, anyway, uh, so, so he, everybody thought he was so great. He would like show up in rooms and make some statements, and everybody's like, oh, I didn't think yeah, of it that, that way, way or whatever. Um, <laughs> and, the, and he never published a paper. But they didn't but, find out about that yeah. until after he. Yeah. Well, no, no. <laughs> I mean, he, nev- he never published a paper, but he was seen writing a lot. Yeah. yeah. Everybody just I mean, assumed he had something freaking huge coming around. And, <laughs> and he very much could have been, say, a perfectionist like Gauss, because Gauss didn't actually publish that much yeah. because he was noted for wanting his papers to be inch right. perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, then finally, he made it all the way to the Lucasian chair, which is pretty much in in Europe. It's the it puts you. I'm probably in the whole world. In the world, I mean, that's yeah. the most famous Science. professorial chair yeah. of mathematics. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it's it's of all sciences, but it's uh, technically of mathematics. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, it anyway. hasn't been held by a mathematician in a long time. Yeah, though. he was the last one, and this is probably <laughs> the reason he was the last yeah. one. Uh, so after he died, <laughs> they go through and they're like, "Oh, in his honor, we should publish some of his works or something." So they go through. They find that he wrote. Very little, and none of it was worth, worth jack, jack shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> that right there is my kind of re- uh, researcher, except I actually have a published paper. Yeah, so you can't do that anymore. Yeah, I can't. Uh, okay, and so uh, last up to, to talk about uh, their personal thing. Now, Chris, you took part in a research experience for undergraduate program. Where was that? Yes, it was at the uh, University of Arizona. Okay, so it's a U of A. Uh, and now, research experience uh, for undergraduate, I should say, is, is a very impressive program, uh, funded primarily, well, to be an REU specifically, you have to be funded by the NSF. A lot of them are also have to be funded by the NSA, uh, but it, every single thing has to get at least a dollar from the NSF, otherwise you're not technically an REU. Uh, but it's been around for like 30 or 40 years now. Uh, it's, it's an incredibly amazing program. If any undergraduate here has applied to a bunch of them, because as I'm sure you're about to hear uh, after Chris talks about it, uh, you'll see that they're very good. And if you want to know more, uh, Joseph Gallion has been running one at the University of Duluth for a long time. I talked to him on Strongly Connected Components like a year ago or so. No, uh, six months ago or so. And you He's can, the guy he, who wrote the algebra book, Yeah, right? Contemporary yeah. Abstract Algebra. So we talked about that. We also talked about his, ex- his time running the REU because he's run it for 30 years. And so uh, what, was, uh, what was the REU about? Well, our focus was uh, actually on uh, GAP and using uh, GAP to investigate okay. problems in, uh, in group theory. Okay, so, so computational, you were doing, computational you were, group theory. Yeah, there you mm. go. You were not, you were not researching yeah. a program. But uh, GAP was our, our main tool to okay. um, explore certain questions that uh, would be difficult to answer by hand. Okay, mm. and now, now Anthony was doing Compute. work... Doing work collaboratively as well, but he was doing collaboration as kind of the bridge between yeah, two disciplines. Yeah, it was more of a bridge in there. Uh, now you were doing directly collaborative work at that RU, right? Yes, yes. We we were working with uh, mathematicians who were f- serving as mentors. Uh, yes, but you were working within groups of yes. undergraduates as well. So, yes. So how does how does that sort of dynamic work? Because I mean, Nathan and I have not actually done collaborative research. At least not directly. We, I'm sure we've asked questions of, say, our advisor, uh, yeah. but but we have not, you know, sat in a room bouncing ideas back and forth uh, on a day-to-day basis. 
it's a highly compressed version of everything we just talked about. We are given uh, an introduction to some area of group theory. For, for in the case of the REU I was in, uh, we were given some uh, theorems that I'd never seen before. They were fairly advanced. Um, and then we're given some papers to read about you know these open questions, and then we're told to try to make some progress uh, in, in that regard. And it, it was a, it was a challenging experience. Um, one of the greatest things about it was that I learned LaTeX. Uh, very useful. Extremely yeah. useful. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you're a mathematical researcher, you know LaTeX because that's what you have to typeset your papers in. Uh, thank you, Donald Knuth. Uh, Okay, but but still a little bit more about like the collaborative dynamic. Uh, were you all essentially trying to work separately on the same problem? Were you working separately on different parts? Were you working together on the same part? There were four different groups, and each group was assigned a certain area, a certain problem. Okay, uh, so so it was definitely a split up. Yes, and I was working with uh, two other undergraduates and uh, one graduate student who was our graduate student mentor, as well as uh, a professor who was our, uh, well, uh, also professorial. our professorial mentor. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, I mean, it was, uh, I wish we had more time there. Uh, but, of course, it is difficult to fund uh, a month or two months living. At, For, uh, like, 20-some <laughs> people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was certainly, it inspired me to, uh, you know, to continue. To think up really stupid questions that you then call us at 3 in the morning for. <laughs> Yes, yes. And uh, I, I, I strongly recommend, you know, any undergraduate out there, I mean, uh, yeah, we, just to, to, to try to look for some REU programs. And even if, don't be intimidated by, you know, the fact that it might be, they might be covering some topic that you know nothing about, because that's all right. I mean, just jump. Well, jump, that's jump part of the idea. I mean, that's one thing about mm -hmm. research is you might know a lot about the subject, but the whole idea of research is that you know nothing. Yeah, nobody knows anything. Uh, yeah, nobody knows anything <laughs> about exactly what you're doing, right? I mean, that's research. Yeah. But, but the one that also the most important piece of advice I would offer is to build a rapport with your professors, either math professors or any other professors in various other fields that have REU programs, because you will need rec letters of recommendation from these professors. Yeah, it's the same mm -hmm. as getting into grad school. <laughs> hmm. But all of that was also okay, something so, valuable. So let's, so let's talk a little bit about something else I wanted to bring. Oh, uh, interesting things in research today. Mm. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really exist. String theory. No, 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 no. I'm not talking. Okay. Uh, one, fine. one, I'm not talking about specific subjects. There's research uh, okay. going on in all kinds. I'm talking about things about research itself. Oh, okay. One thing that, that is a very interesting is that there uh, has been a huge... At least it's actually it's not huge, but there has been a push, a push that I hope becomes a lot bigger to try to start blending disciplines inside of research. Well, that physicists, should be done anyway. Physicists have been coming in and not doing physics. Mm. No, it should be done. I mean, the yeah. argument is that it should be done, but it's being done more now than it than it was because mm. mathematics for a long time has held itself completely separate from the rest mm. of the sciences. Which is a, a bad thing. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's half our motivation comes from other disciplines. Well, motivation, and also there's techniques that we don't. Oh yeah. Know about we don't use. I mean, some of the some of the at the small amount of progress forward that's happened in the Riemann in the past thirty years happened because physicists got bored of doing physics apparently yeah. and decided to try their hand at some pure mathematics. And uh, they found out that distributions of primes somehow has something to do with the. Uh, quantum drum, like the energy uh, density drum. 
yeah, it was just it was just one of those weird things like, oh, well, that looks a lot like this. Let's see what we can do. And they came up with some prime number theorems by applying that. Hmm. Uh, and another big one right now is, of course, biomathematics. There was a shitload of talks at MathFest yeah. about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. biomath is all over the place. Um, I don't really know exactly what they do, but... Well, they do, I mean, they do gait research as well as neurological research. And it's a lot of it, most of it is applying math to biology. Uh, but recently they've been trying to apply biological principles or biological thing, in, things inside of biology to math. And there's something about like the different methods of uh, quadruped gates uh, actually mm. uh, are, can be used to show interesting algebraic structures do you mean like big dog? What? No, I mean because if Clifford. You, yes, yes, Clifford. Okay. <laughs> so if you guys are not going to engage me on that, I uh, will continue on to uh, something. I'm going to let Nathan and Anthony argue about. about experimental mathematics. Go. Okay. Should you introduce it or should I introduce it? I wasn't done with what Sam was talking about. Oh, you're still on biomath. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I recently attended um, one of my friend's master's um, defenses in physics and um while he, he was talking about he had researched a certain a certain um you know m- molecule that was you know it was just a lot of that molecule formed together into one mineral essentially and they put it under high pressure and see what happens um and a lot of time was spent talking about the symmetric group of the molecule oh yeah they yeah and so they so group, group theory group, group theory, theory has kind of revolutionized chemistry in a lot of ways and and physics, physics that involves, in general yeah. yeah um but yeah anyway experimental math experimental math but not only that i mean in the area of robotics um i mean if we were talking about <laughs> robotic arms or the motion now of you engage when, when i try to move on to a new topic now you fucking engage <laughs> we're, we're talking about robotics or the motion of of, of uh, rigid bodies with many degrees of freedom i mean these okay, are best you're just talking about our algebra homework. right but these are these are best described by lee groups uh and so lee group is actually a yeah. manifold with we are a, not talking true. about lee groups why not we're, because I hate Lee groups. Why? Lee groups are cool. Algebra and topology, how combined together? How can you not like that? And then differential, I'd, I'd differential geometry. <laughs> I had a bad experience as an undergraduate with Lee Sam groups. Sam was raped <laughs> by a Lee group. I was, <laughs> I was severely mind fucked, and I, it, it, it was, I was, I was, uh, you know, not in my best mind. I just had a few finals. My brain was not completely there. I apparently said yes. At least that's what the recording says. <laughs> And so it's technically consensual, but really I was not enjoying it. So would you be all right with Lee algebras? Nope, nothing to do with Lee. <laughs> Lee, 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 Lee. There's a, there's a really good... Bad mix um, between Lee and Sam. There's a really good Tenacious, Tenacious D, D song <laughs> about Lee groups. Really? Um, this I got to listen to. It's not about Lee groups. <laughs> it's about Lee, 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 Lee. I oh, have okay. a friend named Lee. He okay. casts a spell, a spell on me. Oh, that's okay. not interesting. Now, experimental math. <laughs> Okay, so starting in the early 20th century, late 19th century, maybe even early 18th century, there, but before that, there really wasn't the idea that whenever you proved something mathematically, you had to start from basic axioms. Um, there was Euclid, and Euclid did that. But in a lot of the rest of the mathematics, they felt free to say that, yeah, I, I kind of feel that this is true. My intuition tells me that this ought to be true. And that was good enough a lot of the time. But starting 
about roughly early 18th century, they started axiomatizing mathematics and saying, first of all, everybody has to agree on these certain statements that everybody thinks is true. And then from there, we'll start proving things. Right. And then, of course, later on in the century, they started finding that not all the Euclid's of axioms are Euclid's axioms. There was the uh, one parallel, parallel postulate. postulate. And they managed to prove that that postulate was independent of the other postulates. Right. And so they were like, well, what if we assume this other thing was true? And then they get Riemannian geometry. And then they said, what if there's... What if there's not a parallel line between any two given things? And then they get um, spherical, Lobachevskian. Oh, well, it's just geometry. Hyperbolic hyperbolic geometry. We don't we don't care quite so much about these specifics. Okay. Well, anyway. (laughs) Anyway, our our idea is this was all a bad idea, and we should go back to getting an intuition and experimenting with mathematics. And things being true simply because, you know, our intuition says they ought to be. Um, okay. No, I, I, I mean, I think that the, the proof, all, all of this proof stuff, I mean, it, it's good that we go back and try and prove things, but I think that the cutting edge math should not be proved so that the proof can come back later and catch up. Because but, yeah, basically having really to good prove conjectures. as you go is just slowing us down but, like but all hell. But isn't that still kind of how it happens? I mean, if, if that's going to be your argument, because what about, uh, it's say, P versus NP? I mean, there's a bunch of papers that keep on popping up. There was the uh, Dale Alaker one just like two weeks ago. Uh, or three weeks ago now. Uh, and the thing, the thing about, like, say, P versus NP, or the Riemann. We use the Riemann in mathematics constantly, mm-hmm. and it's not been proven. Uh, it's Navier-Stokes equations. I mean, that's hell, that's used in special effects, but for movies, those are like twentieth century, right, but like yeah, but at the, the turn of the century conjecture. But the thing P is, P versus NPs from the seventies. Well, that's right. True. But the the thing is, um, all all of these, we're excited about people coming close to coming up with new proofs. But the new proof doesn't. I mean, P versus NP is different because it does have like philosophical replication. I mean, it has a lot of of things to deal with it, but. But people are so excited about proving these things when really they should be excited about discovering new techniques that can be applied in different areas. But, but we, you we come don't, up with the new techniques by trying to do the proofs. Well, that, all, the only new techniques we come up with now are proof techniques that are techniques help useful for doing proofs. What about the things that we, applied mathematicians do? They come up with techniques constantly that have nothing to do with proving something. Right, and I, I think that I, I think, think that we could we could explode every every field of mathematics if we relax the proofs for for we relax the proofs for a century. And then, and then we go back and, and do another, another couple centuries where we try and catch the proofs up to where we are with knowledge I, or well, something. But, I know? mean, if you look at, say, the, the speeches that, I mean, because the fields, another thing we should mention is the fields medals were awarded two weeks ago mm. uh, and at the ICM and International Congress of Mathematicians. Uh, and they were all asked about applied versus pure mathematics. And every single one of them said that there really isn't a line anymore. Uh, I mean, the line is is getting very much blurred. Like, there's no longer straight, pure, straight, applied mathematicians, or it's a lot yeah, more right. rare that it that it happens. And the thing is, I I do think that they're true, and I do think that this might be a bit of a push into what Nathan is is asking for, because these are these are fields medals. These are supposed to be our our brightest lights, and they're talking about how well. I mean, they just kind of go and they see what they can apply a lot of times, and that's that's not proven. 
I mean, that's and those are yeah. techniques that are not proof techniques. They're things that they think are true, and then they do actually go out and just kind of see if they're true. Yeah, and I think that's much more interesting than the concentrating yeah. on proving formerly made. I, I think that you know? we may kind of feel that that's that's how it is because we're still students, and that is what our life is. Well, yeah, but there's well, the whole thing. There's something to say for that. Like too. for the longest time, you, you know, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but there's the delta function. Um, which which is used which is used for solving differential equations by assuming an infinite impulse at cer at a certain location, watching a wave propagate from an infinitesimal point to whatever. Anyway, um, engineers had been using the de the delta function for a century because it worked and it did good math and it solved these equations. And then, but a century later, after engineers have been doing it forever mathematicians finally caught up and were able to prove it and before that mathematicians just rejected the delta function because it hadn't been proved and well, that's they, so we could have evolved so much more of the we could have had but, so many more tools i mean if yeah we but just, if they the, e I mean, the evolution was going on with the engineers with the physicists right so mm -hmm. now we have engineers doing interesting math and mathematicians proving the interesting math but, that they did a long time but ago. the, thi mm -hmm. the thing about it is <laughs> like i mean i like the idea of of doing a little bit of being more creative I've, I've long said be more creative with mathematics but we still need proofs because proofs are what makes mathematics different Right. Okay, so uh, let me be clear then. I'm not saying that we should get rid of proofs. I'm saying that we should accept we should accept that work I mean experimental mathematics should be a field that is probably at least as big as proving mathematics. But it's bigger. It's applied math. Applied no, math I, is bigger than Applied math, math you're still doing proofs. If you just yeah, if you times. just do a lot of things and say look this is cool, um, you will not get published unless you have theorem Proof, theorem, proof. You know, even well, in applied well, math, or or if it's a close approximation to a real world phenomena. Right, but you have to prove it's, it's. I mean, no, you need to show that it's within a certain amount. And I, I, it's not math if you're not doing that. Like, I like the no, idea of being I, more creative. I like the idea of, of really you playing around, but I don't like the idea of mathematics saying, well, this thing looks like it works. It's been, it seems like it's been working. I think that if, before you can actually start using that in other areas of math, you have to show that it's true. Yeah, well, but that's a that's modern... What the math, truth... That's a modern thing. But it's the only truth... Not, around, not completely modern. I mean, that's... It's, too, it's less than 200 years no, old. No, no, no. It, it, well, it started with Euclid, but the rest of mathematics yeah. didn't follow Euclid's example. But if we're talking about applied mathematics, what about trying to model the defects that show up in crystals, say fractures in rocks or something? Uh, People what if, do that constantly. Right, but what if one is able to model that using something from, say, the field of cellular automata? Well, I mean... So? What, I, I don't, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? One may not have any theorems or a whole lot of theorems for that, but uh, if you can write a rule, if you can write... You're modeling. Modeling, yeah. Modeling doesn't have theorems. But you can still publish it, though, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's still useful yeah. because... But, I mean, that, that's within mathematical modeling. I mean, you don't, but, you don't put theorems in lot, modeling papers. A lot of times, also, the proofs are dependent upon the, ac the truth of the axioms themselves. Well, that, right? that's completely true. That's the basis upon which mathematics is founded. Yeah, but no, how do you know modern that the... Modern mathematics. Yes. Modern mathematics. When I say mathematics, I'm talking about mathematics right now. There's no reason to add the modern. Well, uh, how do you know that mathematics accurately models the rest of the world? Because, I mean, look at economics and the idea economics of Economics is not mathematics. It's not... It uses game theory. They use mathematics. 
but it's not mathematics. Just like physics uses mathematics, but it's not mathematics. Mm -hmm. Mathematics is a separate discipline. Mm -hmm. Mathematics is the separate discipline upon which you have axioms and a bunch of shit built on top of it. That's you, do the, what, you do the same thing in economics. You, you're, you just have different sets of axioms. Yeah, except uh, instead of being mathematical axioms, they're axioms like people are rational. Well, hey, they defined is, it mathematically. And the which point, is an observably untrue <laughs> statement. That's my point. <laughs> I mean... I mean, how do you, you can you can prove that certain economic statements are true given the axioms, but the problem is the proof doesn't mean jack because your axioms are wrong. Yeah, but at least the mathematical axioms make logical sense. Well, the the difference between and the applied math and the and the pure. I'm sorry, the difference between you don't, applied. You don't, when I say make math. logical sense, I mean when you look at them, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, but you look at the. I mean, if well, you're the right person, you look at the right set of economics axioms. You can say, "Oh, that makes sense." Yeah, it makes sense to people at the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think that because most of them do actually take for granted that people are logical actors. Otherwise, you yeah. can't do the game theory. Right, but yeah, I can which look. Is not true. That should never make sense because people are never purely logical. Yeah, but I look well, at the axiom of choice yeah. and I say, "Oh, that makes sense." But then you look at the consequences of the axiom of choice, and you can <laughs> cut a, a sphere into five hey, pieces sure, and yes. so rotate it and make two spheres. Yeah, but this doesn't mean that mathematics is not that which is proof. I mean, the idea of proof has forever since Euclid. Since probably prior to Euclid, since he copied most of his well, work, yeah, he, okay. uh, has forever been one of the main tenets, if not the driving tenet behind what mathematics is. I mean, the I, the current idea of the complete axiom axiomatization that that was spawned with Hilbert. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was the Hilbert the Hilbert program, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the Hilbert program failed. And. Part of the reason is, is he proved that, you know... Well, he didn't. Well, he didn't girdle, girdle it. it. Yeah. <laughs> proved that given any set of axioms, you can make a statement that it is, is either. either true or false, but you can't prove it inside yep. those sets and of axioms. And also there are statements that are both true and false. Well, that, that's probably the critical difference between mathematics and people in the field of science but outside of mathematics. Mathematics, we control the system. We decide what axioms we're going to use. We choose the ones we like. We throw out the ones we don't. And in science, non-mathematicians, I'm sorry, non-mathematical scientists go to math and think of it like a buffet. Well, I'll use this and, and use this theorem and this one until it stops working to model the phenomenon. And then that you come up with a different set of axioms. Or yeah. sometimes they do it to show a math thing, and that's why I do think that it's very important to deal with non-mathematicians on a regular basis. Because they'll think, well, just then, why don't you just use this thing and that thing? Like, that thing? What the hell's that thing? What are you talking about? I work in zonotopal algebra. You're trying to tell me to bring in an analysis? I'm not going to do that because I do algebra. I think that that's something that the idea of kind of tweaking and playing around with things could have the biggest effect, is that all of a sudden you would be able to more easily look at other areas of mathematics without necessarily knowing everything about all of it, which is one of the biggest problems with doing mathematical research these days. Nobody if you have knows not, much of if anything. If you have not spent the previous 10 years uh, studying In your field. very, very deep into a very, very narrow subject, you're not going to get uh, really noticed amongst the 10 people who can read your paper. <laughs>
I mean, I do a rather broad area of mathematics. Still, there's only about five to ten people who could just pick up my paper and understand it. And my, and my shit is easy to understand. It's because their brain has been taken up with so much other mathematics that there's just not room anymore. So we just need to make math cool again. Like make uh, it culturally, well, this, this you know. Is, make we it. also need to do this. Uh, I, that's <laughs> kind of what we're trying to do here. I think we're failing on this episode. I, but. I mean, I kind of think of just the way the way every field of math has its own <laughs> axioms, but then it also takes in the axioms of piano arithmetic. You know, piano arithmetic is kind of a core set of axioms so that you have you can apply logic within whatever field you're working in. But then you also take the logics of the the axioms of analysis or the axioms of set theory oh, or whatever. whatever. Um, I think. Math is, is a set of axioms that is taken by physicists, you know? It, m math is, I well, mean, math is to physics as piano arithmetic is to larger math. But you always have... Well, that's the one reason why people do kind of take math as a given, as a truth, as an axiom, you know, the basic building blocks, is because we prove everything. Yeah, I, sure, but... If we don't prove everything, all of a sudden they're not going to believe us but I in think the same way that... it's. Proofs, proofs are good because they, they, I mean, you, proofs are good because they prove things. Okay, right. But, but at the same time, if, if you have the requirement that you have to prove everything as you go instead but of proving it I later. I, I don't I'm, think that we have that requirement because people come up with new problems, open questions, open things mm -hmm. all the time. And they state, well, this might or might not be true. I don't know. Well, in and they put it at the end of their papers. So people are thinking about these questions that they think are probably true, but they're not proving it. Well, but they, but um, people read it, and the first thing they think is, oh, i got to prove that, or how do I prove that? They don't think, oh, cool, let's, let's find 70,000 more open questions and, and uh, assume this answer and see where it goes, and then... You know what I'm saying? But they, unless, not you, have, unless you have good evidence that an answer is, or that a thing is actually true no people in the history of mathematics have never gone with something that they have not seen good evidence that it is true right but i i'm telling you that you can experimentally with a computer cr produce a shit ton of good evidence that things are true well yeah but once you have good evidence things are true then you're probably thinking quite rightly oh this does look true so i should probably show it but all right. with discrete that's, systems that, i though. think is the problem why? Because you can't go beyond that. You can't. I mean, you can then use that result, but then you're building on, you're building on a swamp. Yes, yes, but you're building faster. Yeah, but you're building on a swamp. Right. So we spend a hundred years building on a swamp, only to find that one of the first things that we assumed was true is false. Well, that that is not likely to happen. I don't think. Why it is. not? I, I can't really give give an answer, but I think that if if one thing I was false, I, we would very rapidly figure it out based on you know stumbling what, across what happened, Okay, instead of not false, what happens if it's independent? Then we can just take it as an axiom later. You could, but yeah, there's one of your statements. Everybody thinks of math as true. Yeah, because we prove everything. I would agree with that statement as far as the fact that math is not actually talking about anything. Yeah, as sure. far as it's not... No, I, as far I, as I entirely believe that. Math talks about nothing. Math, math is like radio. Math is theater of the mind. Yeah, it's, it's true, but it doesn't say anything. Math so is, it's a, like math the is truth, a collection of implications. Yeah. Uh, these math, axioms If, if our axioms this. are true, math is true. 
That's that's true. But yeah. I mean, when, as far as you're <laughs> but saying, but that's as far as we can this... go. But physicists, biologists, chemists don't necessarily see that difference that we see in ourselves. Oh well, I'm just saying. Say, you know, the di what's the difference between Newtonian mathematics and uh, general relativity? Well, uh, the... one is probably false. Uh, and one well, of them was created at least by one. an asshole. At least one they, of them is false. Yeah, at least one of them is false. But anyway, the difference between those two is whether they take the axiom, the parallel axiom, to be true or not in real life. Yeah, I don't like general relativity on but, principle, and I don't like Newtonian anything because of the name that's. Oh uh, yeah, you don't like Newton. Okay, so uh, there's one we'll other there's one other thing about Nitz. research that yeah, Leibnizian uh, <laughs> physics. Sure, sure. sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> All right. Okay, so uh, there's one final uh, thing in mathematical research which is just super cool that I want to touch because we're we're like touching on uh, going over an hour right now, uh, and that is polymath. Uh, I know Nathan has heard about this because I have talked to him about it in the past. But polymath is something that was started by uh, former fields, former fields medalist. He is still technically a fields medalist, <laughs> but he won it in the past. Uh, Tim Gowers, uh, that was started on his blog to look at the density Hales Jewett problem, uh, which is some weird, like, three dimensional tic tac toe topology problem. Really, that, like, the pictures that... I saw, that's essentially what it seems to be. Uh, <laughs> And, and what he did is he asked th this question. He asked a research about research question. Can we do this research in a massively collaborative way? Two is weeks it? later, he had his answer, and the answer was yes. Mm. Uh, he proved it along with uh, initially like 50 or 60 other people through comments on his blog, and then about 10 people later on to tie it all together into a much denser paper, a much stronger version than he initially even posed mm -hmm. uh, just through blog comments. And so, and now uh, Terry Dow has uh, picked this up as well as uh, Gil Kalai, Michael Nielsen uh, as a way of doing research, mm. research through wiki and research through blog comments. Interesting. What's the, uh, what's, what's the quality control mechanism? I mean, is it similar to it, the scholarly or the... Or uh, the quality <laughs> control mechanism is crowdsourcing. Uh, if, well, you make, yeah. if you make a false statement about something, you have 50 other mathematicians reading that. It's not like they're splitting it up. Yeah, someone posts like, maybe we can approach it this way, and then someone else will talk like, well, that seems like it might work if we take this and this. Well, then we can tie them both together, and that might give us something else. And then someone else will be like, neither of those approaches make sense. I just tried them out. They don't lead anywhere. So instead, we do it this way. And then someone's like, well, I used this, and I got this result. And someone else will verify that that's actually true. Who gets the credit, and how, how, do, uh, how does the... The, how do the, the paper that was published was published under the name DHJ Polymath. Uh, if you think of it, it's like the French group. The Bourbaki. Bourbaki, yeah, the... Is it Borbaki or Borobaki? It's something like that, which is a big group of like 40 mathematicians. How's the uh, funding distributed, though? There's like no a, funding. No, I mean like for research grants. There's fund. no funding. <laughs> oh. Yet. No funding. Well, I mean, there doesn't need to be any funding. That's one idea is that you can do this research without any funding well, whatsoever. Everyone needs funding. I mean, if it you're not... No, because this is just a bunch of people who like math. Yeah. This is just... It's just, it just taps into the cognitive surplus. Yeah, People, it, instead <laughs> of spending six hours watching TV, choose to spend 30 minutes on this problem. And, if and enough five people, and a half hours watching if, TV. If, if enough people do that, then all of a sudden, if, if 
you know, if 1% of TV time is used on polymath, then we would have more math done than had been done in a century. Yeah. You know I mean, and, I mean? And, and not only that, uh, if you look at, say, uh, say you need a supercomputer job, well, you have, yeah. say, 40 or 50 people working on this polymath problem, uh, which, is, which is cool. Uh, you got 40 or 50 people, but all of a sudden you need a supercomputer. All you need to do is then take the, uh, the Berkeley program that they use to run SETI, yeah. SETI at home. Uh, I guarantee at least five of those people will be decent programmers. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, it, admittedly, I'm taking this as an axiom, but <laughs> probably a true statement because it's a bunch of people. It's experimentally determinable. Yeah, so. uh, you, have a, you have a bunch of people. Uh, posting on math blogs. So these are not just mathematicians. These are tech-savvy mathematicians. Uh, so it, some of them are going to be programming people. And uh, Gowers himself has recently been doing work in programming, and Nielsen and Kalai and Dow all do work in programming as well. Uh, and so you can just have someone whip up a quick cluster program that can run on the open source, was it Boink or something like that? Yeah. Bionic, maybe, uh, platform. Everyone just installs that. They can then di run distributed computing on all of the 50 computers that people are then using to do that. All of a sudden, you have your own supercomputer, all without any research funding. All you're, all you're doing is exactly what Nathan says. You're tapping the cognitive surplus. And I think that this could very easily be the most interesting and the most revolutionary and groundbreaking uh, style of research. And I think that it could come up with some amazing, truly amazing results once gets it gets a popular. bit, once it gets bigger, and once it, you know, they come up with slightly better workflow environments. I don't believe that the blog comment system or the wiki system are perfect environments yeah. for it. But someone and has to be. Wave certainly wasn't any good. Well, <laughs> hence why Google has canceled it. Actually, uh, I read recently that they didn't fully cancel it. They canceled the online version, but they're packaging it into its own software, and and they think that. And they'll fix. They'll they have enough data to figure out what went wrong, and hopefully, anyway, they can well, improve it. I think maybe uh, stand like using it as a standalone workflow system within a business may actually work better than yeah. the online version, which I logged into once. I only thought went it in was once. a yeah. thought it was a clusterfuck, and just never went in again. Uh, <laughs> And so once they come up with a better workflow, Stack Overflow, which they use for Math Overflow uh, as well, could be another thing uh, uh, that could be very... Math Overflow is another interesting thing that you can use to pose uh, questions and see if anyone's answered them because it, it's you know kind of like a you, know, you ask a question, a bunch of people answer it, and then people give plus or minus to the answers. So would this be like a hybrid uh, form of uh, Mathopedia and Facebook where you could have like working groups? Uh, you could have like, you know... Groups where you share information between people that, that you allow to be your friends, but then no, you can also no, 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 nothing, nothing more like, open? no. This is open. This is com okay. it has to be completely open because that's the only way it will work. But it's some sort of kind of social networking kind of environment, except instead of you friend someone else, it's just like you friend a problem and something that will keep you up to task. And also, I think that being able to filter out comments on their relevancy. Like people can vote whether or not comments are relevant uh, or correct would also possibly be a decent thing. But I should possibly be talking to the people who do this instead of y'all about yeah. my ideas. Well, the this. only the one big foreseeable problem is if this turns out to be massively successful, we may see 
the end of mathematics as a rigorous discipline. You know what I'm saying? There, might, there may no be, be no more mathematicians because no one makes money being a mathematician. It's no. all done. Who's going to get no. a PhD online. if they don't? Okay, no. This is this is only this is only research, and this it does have to be research that doesn't necessarily require uh, certain types of funding because there are types there are types of research that require funding uh, or that require amount of computer time that cannot be done through fifty people's distributed computer network. And there's other ones, a lot of applied math, where you need to, you know, say, like, need you're doing things with lightning. You need to take measurements that, that this group would not necessarily be able to do. And you will still need professors. But you then still professors need become instructors yeah, rather just, than researchers. Then they might be better at doing their job. Whoa! Oh, man. <laughs> I don't think that that is actually that wild of a comment. I think that that's a generally... Uh, Agreed upon thing. That's why liberal arts universities that specify or spend a lot of their time making sure that they actually educate their students, emphasize education instead of research. Yeah, I mean that's fine. Just I think research institutions are not such a bad idea. Although as a counter, no, research institutions are not such a bad idea. But I don't necessarily think uh, that I don't think that it would get rid of research institutions for one. I, uh, I think that research institutions used to make sense because people needed to be able to talk to each other and whatever. Now that we have the internet and all of these things, a research institution might just be some an anachronism. It, I, I think research institutes instead of institutions make a lot of sense to me. Well, I think, I mean... Where I, you, do, uh, you do pay people to do the research. Because, I mean, not only that, you still need, even if you uh, distribute the research in this way... Uh, everyone's mind added together is not going to be the equal of a genius. And unless the genius is able to be nurtured and able to be funded in such a way that he can actually tap into the genius, he won't be useful. Mm. And so people will still be paid to do research, even if this is popular. Uh, because if we look, yeah, there, there might, if this is wildly successful, there will probably be less money. Yeah, which is... But the best are still going to be getting paid. Yeah. But we don't worry about money. We're it's all about the truth. Don't let Maleshkov hear you say that. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, on that that wonderful note right there, uh, <laughs> this first one in a while and longest one in a while is uh, combinations permutations is going to come to an end. I'm not going to be able to toss too many links up on our website acmescience.com, but I'm still going to plug acmescience.com. Uh, twice in a single sentence because I want you guys to go there. I am going to start trying to put up more articles during the week, you know, just like interesting math news bits that I find. Oh, the other just various sciencey things that I find uh, that will be of interest, uh, hopefully to everyone who's listening to this and also you can find links to all of our, oh, all of our old shows, right? ups of all of our old shows and links at least to the polymath stuff. I'll definitely put up links about, uh, on this and so for Anthony Solari, Christopher Bates, and Nathan Rowe, I am your host and the one you actually listen to this for, Samuel Hansen, saying uh welcome back. That is it for this episode of Combinations and Permutations. If you want to find out more about this episode or any of the previous episodes, head on over to acmescience.com. 
Also, why don't you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? And if you do, I promise that I or someone else on Combinations and Permutations will read your name out loud, even if you only give us one star. This episode is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share-Alike license, so please feel free to cut our ramblings down into something that is uh, more concise and probably a little bit smarter. And then just say those are originally our voices. The music, as always, was from SP12, who you can find over at opsound.com. O-R-G. If you want to leave any feedback, send me an email at Samuel at AcmeScience.com or check us out on Twitter.com slash AcmeScience. Thank you all so much for listening.